As a born and raised Southerner, I know a few uh, Christian curse words. You know what I'm talking about. It's the words that we say because we can't say the other ones. Oh yeah, fiddlesticks. Good googly moogly. For Pete's sake, rats. I can tell you, they only get more southern from here. Heavens to Betsy. Great day in the morning. Dag blast it, dead gum it, doggone it. If you just tuned in, you're like, what is happening right now? <laughs> Trust me, there's a point. I will say, since my wife and I have moved to the Midwest, we've learned a couple of new ones. They're pretty good. One of my favorites, and I think some of you say this, Jiminy Christmas. Anyone say Jiminy Christmas? Bunch of liars. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I picked it up from you, so thank you. <laughs> I will say my favorite of all time, this old man lives up in Minnesota. He always used to say when things weren't going his way, just in the most like undertone, like monotone, easygoing voice, well... That's a real kick to the head. <laughs> Have you ever been kicked in the head? Anyone? That explains a lot over there. <laughs> horse or human? Human? That's better than horse from what I hear. I've been kicked in the head by my sister. She thought she could swing her leg up over my head, and my sister's like 5'2". And I was like, sure, sounds great. <laughs> Let me tell you, I learned in that moment what this guy in Minnesota was talking about. A kick to the head is not a pleasant thing. You know, whether it's actually a foot to our skulls or it's something else, we all take kicks in the head. Life east of Eden is treacherous, unfair, Painful. Maybe it's a diagnosis you hoped that you would never hear. A family member wrestling with an addiction, a pay cut, or a loss of job completely. A totally unforeseen accident that blew up in your face. Life seems to constantly deal us death blows. And in the midst of the chaos of this life, we gather together this Sunday morning whether here in person, with us online, or, or listening from far away, we gather as Christians united in our hope that there is a God, that he does have sovereignty, and that he is doing something about this. And we're correct. As a matter of fact, this conviction is not our own, but it's been handed down to us through generations of men and women of the faith. It's been recorded for us through the words of Holy Scripture. And it's even being spurned on from within us by the indwelling Holy Spirit. There is a God. He is sovereign, and he is doing something about this evil mess. That is why we come together to worship, to sing, to take communion, to pray, to listen to the word. And so I invite you all to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. I want to remind you, if you don't have a Bible, um, we've got some on the back wall that you can just take, and that can be yours to keep. Um, Colossians chapter 1, we started our journey through Colossians last week, 
And uh, today we're going to walk through the second half of chapter 1. So we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. We'll be in verse 15 through 29 today. Now I want to invite you all to stand for the reading of God's word. There's not going to be anything on the screens at this time, so feel free to, to follow along in your Bibles or just close your eyes and listen and receive this message to you from God. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission of God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works within me. The word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now this word is living and active. And I cannot even pretend to plumb its depths in the short time we have together today. But I do know that God has a word for each of us this morning. And it's my hope that we'll catch a glimpse of Jesus as he truly is today. As Joel mentioned last week, there are a plethora of false Jesuses to choose from. Some are given to us by society, some are given to us by our experiences, some are given to us, unfortunately, by the church itself. But when we take a look at Jesus, Christ, the King, God's true King, our Messiah, our Savior, when we see him as he really is, our lives are changed. So as we follow Paul's line of thought, Paul's main kind of argument here in the back half of 
uh, Colossians chapter one, we will encounter the Christ of creation, the Christ of incarnation, and the Christ of new creation. Paul tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created. This is creation. This is Christ over us. Jesus Christ is the exalted king of the universe. Everything was made through him and nothing exists that wasn't made by him. All things, things we see and things we don't see, matter and ideas have their beginning in Jesus and they are held together by Jesus. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And ultimately what Paul is saying here is that Jesus is the most powerful being in the universe by virtue of the fact that he made it. You know, we have patents in the modern world that, that kind of display the legality of whoever has an idea, creates something, is the owner of that thing. And Paul's making the same argument here that, listen, Jesus created everything. He's supreme over everything. In the ancient world, timeliness was key in authority as well. And that's why you see all the firstborn language in this text. And throughout, really, the Old and New Testaments. Jesus wasn't just the creator of all, but he existed before anything else existed. And because of that, he has ultimate supremacy over everything. At the risk of sounding too childlike, he was here first. It's his. Things are going to go his way. And that's good news for the people of God, is it not? And many people deny this most basic fact of our existence, namely that we owe our existence to God. It's becoming more and more popular to deny the authority of God as our creator and as the owner of the universe. But the Bible reminds us that it's foolishness to embark on the journey of life without a proper understanding of God and ourselves. What the Bible keeps trying to get us to understand is that we owe our allegiance to one king, the one who made us all and everything else that exists. All true lines of philosophical thought begin here with the acknowledgement that God is God. No line of reasoning can stand without the authority of the creator. It just can't. The wisdom literature of scripture attests to this as Proverbs tells us, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You can't go anywhere without the fear of the Lord. Uh, uh, maybe another alternate transition or translation could be reverence or awe. In the book of Job, we're confronted with the age-old question, and it's a question that we wrestle with today. If God is so good and he's really in control, then why do all these bad things keep happening to good people? We meet this man, Job. He's a man whom God had blessed with abundant riches and a large family. And for a reason undisclosed to Job, God grants Satan the authority to attack him. And he loses everything. His health, his kids, his Uh, His livelihood, his house, his farm, his livestock, the love of his wife, 
everything was stripped away from Job. And Job asked this question of God. And it's understandable, is it not? God, if you really are who you say you are, then what gives? And honestly, many of us take a look at our lives and society, and we ask the same question. God, if, if, you, if you really are in control, and you really are good, what's going on? After 34 chapters of the ramblings of Job's friends, which turn out to be overall unhelpful, God appears and answers Job himself. And you know what? God doesn't defend his actions to Job. He, he doesn't explain himself. He doesn't have to. He's God. But God does speak in this moment. And what he says is breathtaking. In Job chapter 38, starting in verse 2, this is what the Lord said to Job. Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made its clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place when I said, this you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take place take the earth by its edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light, and the upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths of their dwellings? Surely you know, for you are already born. You've lived so many years. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of hail for which I reserve in times of trouble for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where lightning is dispersed or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm to water the land where no one lives, an uninhabited desert, to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout its grass? Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost of the heavens when the waters become hard as stone and the surface of the deep is frozen? Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? God goes on for three and a half more chapters about his wondrous creation and his authority 
over it. And God basically says, listen, you can ask questions of me. You can, you're allowed to, but ultimately you need to understand that there's some things you're just not gonna understand. Because God is God. And we're not. Succinctly put, in the words of the preacher from Ecclesiastes, God is in heaven, and you are on earth, so let your words be few. This calls for worship, for surrender, for bowing down, for renouncing our foolish pride and falling down at the feet of Jesus, the Lord and maker of all. Have you ever noticed how people approach Jesus? Take time this afternoon. Flip through the Gospels. Notice how often people approach Jesus from their knees. Or even with their faces in the dirt. It's not a comfortable position. (laughs) It's certainly not acceptable or normal in the normal uh, situations of life. But time and time again, people approach their creator and their savior with head in the dust. In market streets and city squares, on the mountainsides and on seashores, men and women are coming to Jesus, bowing in reverence. And perhaps it's time we start worshiping in this manner. Perhaps it's time we start living our entire lives as worship, as living sacrifices pleasing to God. Perhaps it's time we stop making worship about our feelings and recognize that whether we feel it or not, God is the supreme author of all and we must bow before him. Perhaps it's time we recognize that worship is in fact what we were made for. And then if we humans aren't worshiping God, we're worshiping something else, period. Perhaps it's time to stop withholding things from God, as if we could hide anything from him. Perhaps it's time for us to stop living fragmented lives, as if God is king over our Sundays, but not over our Saturdays. As if God is king over our morning cup of coffee and word open with him, but not king over our work hours. As if God is king over our families when it comes to our morality, but not over how we spend our money. Perhaps we need to stop withholding things from God as if we could keep anything from him. He is the uncreated one who existed before time existed and who will exist forever. And friends, he's too good for you to hold anything back from him. He's too good of a God for us to keep crouching down in the dark places of our soul and worshiping our idols. Your idol will not satisfy you. It cannot feed you. It cannot give you true happiness. It cannot satisfy the utter depths of your God-made soul. So let's stop trying and let's bow to God and allow our souls to be healed in his presence. 
Paul's calling us this morning to cast down our idols, reject our arrogance, and fall down at the feet of Jesus. Creation means Christ is over us, and we must worship him. We must worship him. You know, many of us bristle at having any kind of authority over us. That's our flesh, and it's tainted by sin and death. But I want you to know that if you're, if you're struggling with the authority of God this morning, if you're struggling with his strong right arm, know that you can trust his heart. A lot of us shudder at the idea of a supreme owner of the universe, because what if he's not good? But I want you to know that the heart of God is expressed in the words of scripture and most vividly through, you guessed it, his son. And we can trust the heart of God. So if you're having trouble with the authority of God, this morning is a call to trust the heart of God. Let's look at how God displayed himself through his son in verse 19. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. That's the son, Jesus Christ. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace but through his blood shed on the cross. This is incarnation. This is Christ with us. This is when God gave up all his divine privilege to come to the earth that he made to be with the people he made. He took on a body like ours, lived under the restraints that we live under of time and space and society, but he didn't have to do that, but he did. He did it because he loves you. He did it because the sin had fractured our relationship with him and he's too good of a father to let anything stand in between us. He did it because, as verse 21 says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. He did the unthinkable, offering up his very life Don't miss this. God, the life force of all humanity, offers up his life to humanity for you, for me. Understand that the incarnation of God is about relationship. Understand that every action of God is about relationship. Creation, incarnation, new creation is for relationship with you. There is a God So what's our response to Jesus, the incarnate one? It's twofold. First, very simply, yet so richly and truly, thank him. Thank him. Give God thanks for what he's done for you through Jesus, his son. Write it down. Write down how thankful you are. Tell other people. Tell others how thankful you are for what Jesus has done for you. Allow all the negativity from life in a fallen world to dissipate 
and the clarity and the beauty of your gratitude to God who gave up everything for your soul. Let thanksgiving overshadow your doubts. Let gratitude overcome your fears. Let gratefulness overwhelm your anxieties. Incarnation means Christ with us. And we must thank him. We must thank him. Second response, you can join him in recreating this fallen world back into the way he intended it to be. This is new creation. This is Christ in you. Paul says in verses 23 through 27 that he's become a servant to Christ, sharing in his sufferings and making known to all people the mystery of God. The Word made flesh. This is what he says starting in uh, the middle of verse 25. He says that God commissioned him to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope. God, in his wondrous, magnificent plan, did not think it enough just to come and offer up everything to come and be human with us. But through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit, God is in us. God in the heart of every believer. Remember that all of the work that God did through Christ is about relationship. He wants to be close to you. That is beautiful. And that, I might add, is necessary if we're going to make it in life through this sin-sick world. The Holy Spirit is what fills us with strength, encouragement, to make it through on this pilgrimage of faith. He unites us all in love, and he invites us to share in the feast of God's goodness. As Paul says elsewhere, in, we are, in Christ, new creations. The old has gone, the new has come. Do you want to be made new? This new creation comes with responsibility beyond ourselves, however. For God's eye is for every created thing, not just you, not just me. The scope of new creation spans far broader than just your personal salvation. No, this is heaven and earth. This is all things seen and unseen. New creation, simply put, is for all creation. God is renewing everything that he has made. And part of us being his new creation is joining in God's work in the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, ministry isn't just preaching. It's not just the church stuff, and it's certainly not restricted to Sundays only. Ministry is our new life in Christ. It's sharing the hope of glory, which is Christ in us. It's the hope of the gospel, that God is taking his world back. He's making it his again. He's reclaiming what was lost, but is now found. 
That's why we care for our little ones. That's why we feed the hungry. That's why we ensure the homeless have a place to stay and keep warm. That's why we take care of the earth that God made. That's why we're responsible with our resources. That's why we pick up trash. That's why we stay committed to our marriages. That's why we create safe environments for our kids to grow up. That's why we're good neighbors. That's why we look out for one another. That's, when, that's why we stop on the roadside when somebody needs help. In sum, that's why we should be living holy lives. We do all of this by holy living, and, and that's the substance of much of the rest of Paul's letter to the Colossians, and we don't have time to, to continue on today, but there's, there's more to come. But, but for now, I want you to be reminded that none of this happens under your own strength. And all the weary ones out there said amen. But this comes from Christ, as Paul says in verse 29. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. New creation means Christ is at work in us, and we must join him. We must join him. Would you pray with me? Almighty and loving God, you have created everything for us to be with us. You have come to us, and you have reconciled us through the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus. And you are now living in us and among us and and reclaiming this lost world through us in the power of your Holy Spirit. And for this, we praise you. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.